Amen. Thank you, Brother Scott. I appreciate your heart. He and I are going to go on the road together. We're going to be like Charles Billingsley and David Jeremiah. So that's, amen. Praise God. I want you to turn with me to Exodus 24. I want you to go with me to Exodus 24. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm not at all comfortable with preaching the text. So uh, I cannot promise to you how homiletically sound this message will be. But nonetheless, it's a message to my heart. And it's where I've been in my devotional reading here of late. And it's certainly been blessing me. And so as I prayed this morning about what God would have me share with you today, uh, this particular passage kept coming to my heart. And I'll be honest, I wrestled with it in my heart because I really didn't feel prepared enough to share it. But nonetheless, here we go. So Exodus chapter 24, I want you to look with me in verse 12. Exodus 24, look with me in verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain forty days. And 40 nights. What do you think on this subject this morning? While you wait. While you wait. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Confess before you that uh, I, I always feel this. always sense this. But God, it certainly seems to be magnified in my heart today. I know I'm unworthy and unable to be able to preach this morning without you. Uh, but I'm okay with that. There's not anything we can do without you, Lord. And so, God, I embrace that today and ask for you, Father, to meet me right now in this hour and help me, Father, to preach in a way that would glorify you. And I pray, Father, that our time in your word today would encourage our hearts and strengthen us, Lord Jesus, that, God, you have a purpose in our waiting. You're at work even when it feels we're ineffective. We love you, Father, and pray that you would lead us now. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lesson I would hope that we learned this morning from the life of Joshua. And I want to start as we look kind of in survey form at, at two or three scenes in the life of Joshua this morning. And I want you to go with me to Exodus 17 to begin with. So just flip over there very quickly. When we go to Exodus 17, I want you to look with me in verse 14. Exodus 17 verse 14 the scripture says, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, or Jehovah Nisi, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, and the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Well, what, what's going on here? Well, you, you know the story. Aaron and her hold up the arms of Moses as they're praying on the hilltop. And when 
Moses' arms fall, the Amalekites begin to take the day, if you will. But when Moses' arms are high and the prayer is being offered to God with the strength and help of Aaron and her beside them, Joshua had the upper hand. And we know how the story goes. Joshua, in fact, had victory that day over the Amalekites. And God said, Moses, listen, Joshua was fighting. I'm putting this in paraphrase form. Joshua was fighting. Now, I'm sure he knew something was going on miraculous. But when you sit down with him and the battle's over, I want you to rehearse everything that happened this day into the ears of Joshua. Let him know exactly what I was doing while he was fighting for my glory. And then, as best I can tell, we don't hear of Joshua again until Exodus 24. And then after Exodus 24, we don't hear of Joshua again to Exodus 32. And so here we are in Exodus 24. And let's, let's just think about it for context's sake. Where are the children of Israel? Where is Moses? What's going on? Well, they're obviously in the wilderness. They have made, made some time here. They've covered some ground. And now they're at the base of Mount Sinai. And there at the base of Mount Sinai, God told Moses, come up to me. And I'm going to give you the commandments. And I'm going to give you the, the orders of of the instruction for the tabernacle and the furnishings in it and the priesthood and everything that goes into what I'm going to establish as this sacrificial system and the law. And so Moses was called up time and time again. And then after that in Exodus 24, now he's going to go back up and spend 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God. And when we go back to Exodus 24 and we look in verses 12 through 18, here's what I'll, uh, what's so interesting to me and here's what grabbed my heart in my quiet time out of Exodus 24. It's really not what is said, but what is not there. Go back and look at it. Exodus 24, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain, wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us. Now you don't have to be a Bible scholar to put two and two together. There's a band that's going to be left behind and only two now are going to climb the mountain, Moses and Joshua. And now we know what happens to Moses. Moses is going to leave the elders there at the foot of the mountain and they're going to be judging the people with Aaron and Hur as their God. And now Moses in verse 15 is going to go up on the mountain and the cloud of the glory of God is going to overshadow him. But where's Joshua? Where's Joshua? We don't know for sure exactly where Joshua is. We don't know how close he is to the proximity of this meeting spot, this, this place of God's presence on top of Sinai. But we do know, well, I think we know this much. He didn't go as high as Moses had went, but it was higher than the elders in the valley. Somewhere on the side of this mountain, in the shadows, this young warrior is going to spend 40 days and 40 nights waiting. He looks up, he sees the flashes of the glory of God. He looks down, he sees the glow of campfire at night. And there by himself on the side of the mountain, 40 days and 40 nights. I'm telling you, if I've ever been, I always feel this, but if I've ever been unqualified to preach a message, it's today. Verbatim, my prayer before I got to you was this, Lord, are you for real? I'm terrible at waiting. I'm one of the most impatient people in the world. 
I know me. I promise you that. You want to have a contest? I bet I can out impatient you. Just ask my wife. She's saying amen at Dana right now. I'm not a patient person. I don't wait well. There's a story that comes to my mind when we had an opportunity to go study uh, in an internship in 2014. In 2013, uh, part of that was we just decided it would be best not to try to rent our house in Kings Mountain, so we just put it up for sale. And I'm telling y'all, if I, I, you know, you can just argue about what God says and what God doesn't say, but I'm telling you, God couldn't have purposed it any clearer in my heart as if he'd have boomed it from heaven. When I had the real estate sign in my hand and I put my foot on that bottom bracket to put it in the yard and push it down. Some of you are thinking, why are you doing that? Shouldn't the agent do that? No, she told me to go do it. To which I said, sure. Right there in that moment, I just whispered to the Lord, Lord, please help our house to sell. And it's, I mean, I couldn't. I pushed the sign into the ground and I just, I just felt in my spirit. You have to trust me. And I didn't want to hear that. I wanted God to say, amen. And in two weeks later, my house would be sold. I knew what was coming. My house sat on the market for 11 months and two weeks. Do you know how hard it is to show a home with two toddlers? That'll bless you right there. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, they're pulling out stuff as fast as you put it up. You're mopping floors. They're dumping milk on it. It's a, it's a good time. And so wrestling back and forth for 11 and a half months of showing this thing and on the market and doing this. And we even changed agents and I'm doing everything I know to do on my end to move this home. And the whole time I just feel the Spirit of God saying, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. And with two weeks remaining, God came through. You know what God taught me in those times? I'll be honest, he, there was no big epiphanies. There was no major messages from God sent from heaven on a cloud God showed me that I don't wait well. That was the lesson. God showed me in 11 and a half months how little faith I had. God showed me in 11 and a half months how antsy I can get, how anxious I can become. And how I allow that angst and impatience to distract me from my responsibilities to His kingdom while I'm waiting. Because I don't know about you, I get consumed about things. If my wife said it one time, she said it a thousand. You get something on your mind and you just, you just, and she'll just walk out of the room. I'm kind of geared like that. Now, sometimes that helps you. Sometimes it's a real blessing to have that kind of mentality. But when God puts you in an intentional season of waiting, not so much. For 40 days and 40 nights, Joshua's on the side of a mountain. We read about what's going to happen with Moses at the top. And in Exodus 32 and 33, we'll hear about what's going to happen in the valley when Moses comes down. But what's going on in Joshua's life? We don't know a whole lot. He's waiting. But let's think about it. What could have Joshua learned while he's waiting? Just a few things, a few observations. Call them devotional if you will. But I, I do feel like they're coming from the text. Here's the first one. First of all, in this season of waiting, at the height, at what he might have thought was his ineffectiveness, here's how God was working. Number one, he was protecting him from something. You remember what's happening in the valley, correct? The people of God, after 40 short days, 
have decided to abandon their faith in this idea of Jehovah. And now they have taken their earrings and their jewelry and they had Aaron melt them down and now he's built this calf and they're worshiping the calf. And they're, they're going back to forms of paganism, idolatry and adultery and it's just a free-for-all in the valley. As a matter of fact, it's so chaotic that when Joshua hears of it in Exodus 32, which is the first time we hear his name from Exodus 24 is to Exodus 32, when Joshua hears of it being a man of war, his first response to Moses is, there's a disturbance in the camp. Is there fighting? And they get closer. No, that's not a battle. That's revelry. That's a giant party. And so they walk up on all sorts of debauchery among the people of God. Maybe in this season of waiting, God was protecting this young man from being in the midst of all that. Protecting this young man from having him right in the center of all that. Now again, I don't want to develop this too long other than just simply say this. I don't know how you feel today, but I know this much. I know how I felt in 03 and 04 when I was sitting in the same pews at that time that many of you are sitting right now. God, I've, I've, I've left everything I know to be normal. I've left my job, I've left my family, and here I am coming up to study. And I'm waiting on for what you would have for me. And especially when it come down to those last and final days, those months before I was to graduate, you're re that really begins to multiply itself in your mind. That, that, those feelings begin to compound themselves in, in your heart. And you're like, Lord, just what's next? Who knows what God is protecting you from as He has you in a season of waiting. While we're waiting, we've got to trust Him. That He sees more than we see. He knows more than we know. And His timing is always perfect. Now that's easy preaching and hard living, but it's no less true. God was protecting the young man. Number two, maybe God was also teaching Joshua about something. We see Him protecting him from something. We also see, we can understand that He's teaching him about something. To lead God's people. Listen, this is good. To lead God's people, here's what Joshua would have understood. From time to time, you've got to disconnect from them and go be before the Lord. Do you not think God could have talked to Moses in the valley? Do you not think God could have come directly to the foot, the door of Moses' tent and said everything that he was going to say to him on top of the mountain right there in his tent? Of course he could have. So why does God take Moses and... Call him to withdraw and to depart and go up to this mountaintop and get away for a while. A lot of reasons. Maybe on the heels of all the responsibility and the busyness of Exodus 18 after he gets some great counsel from his dad-in-law. In the midst of all the ministry and all the responsibilities, there's always this need to depart for, for a while and get away with God. Could you imagine the story? Go with me to Exodus 32 very quickly. I'm not going to read a whole lot there. But in Exodus 32, listen. The Bible says Moses turned in verse 15. Moses turned and he went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides. On the front and on the back they were written. And the, excuse me, the tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablet. If you want to talk about autographs, if you want to talk about the original autographs, that's it. <laughs> God wrote it on the tablet. Verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, 
He said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, oh, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. So there's, there's certain times in the text you just wish you were there. One of those moments is when Samuel talks to Saul after God has told Saul, I want you to take it all and destroy it. Don't keep anything. Samuel hears the sound of bleeding in the background. Is that goats I hear? Is that a sheep or two? That's not what you were told to do. And this feeling over the whole party of the weight of God's judgment and disobedience of man is mixing right now. That's what Moses is feeling. No, Joshua, honey. I've been around long enough to know they're not a, that's not a victory shout and that's not a war cry. That's singing and dancing what's going on. But just before that, Verse 15 and 16. Wouldn't you love to have been part of that conversation? Moses and Joshua are making their way back down the mountain. I wonder. We don't know. I wonder what's being said. Moses maybe speaks of the Shekinah glory of God. That he's experienced over the last 40 days and night. Moses speaks. Maybe describing the voice of God. Maybe he said something like this. You know Joshua. There have been times I've spoke with God before and maybe I had in my mind that it would be this big booming authoritative voice but in the presence of the thunder and the lightning and the glory and and the glory of God's presence out of it came a still small voice. Wouldn't you have loved to have heard that? Joshua (laughs) is is seated in the front row of maybe one of the greatest Old Testament surveys to date and on his way down the mountain now if he's down in the valley he wouldn't have been the first to hear that but right on the heels of a long season of waiting perhaps some of his greatest breakthroughs concerning an understanding of God would come God's protecting him from something God's teaching him about something God's teaching him a lot about himself and I think in the midst of the lesson God chooses to teach us oftentimes through test. Again, it's not directly said. I'll have to concede that. It's just something that I think it's implied from the Scripture. But I think also, even at best, if it's indirectly, I think there's a test here for Joshua. Because again, I, I don't know this from Joshua, and I don't know that the Scripture is necessarily saying explicitly that Joshua felt this way, but I think I know something of the nature of the human heart. I know something of the nature of the human heart. Nobody likes to sit in the shadows and in darkness and wait not knowing why you're there. How do I know that? You ever been into a McDonald's drive-thru? You know what's coming. You know how long it normally takes. And yet you still honk your horn and salute people. Need I say more? Have you ever, you know, every now and again those speakers are real loud through the drive through windows. Your window's down, you're prepared to order. And you can hear the car in front of you trying to make their order. Don't it frustrate you? We'll have, do you guys like have a double cheeseburger? Yes, it's called a number four. Been there for 35 years. Order! I mean, it's not that hard. It's all numerical. You know, I mean, they made it as simple as they could. One through 13, make a choice, move on. I'll pay for it. Get out of my way. 
<laughs> Just go. Now we get like that, ordering the double cheeseburger meal. Imagine for 40 days and 40 nights, no communication to say that we know of directly with God nor the representative of God. And there in your waiting, you're a man of action. Hello, Joshua was not, not that this is bad, but Joshua was not in the field of counseling. He is a warrior. He will one day become the general slash prime minister of the people of Israel. But today, he is a warrior. Warriors don't wait well. But for this season, that's exactly what he was doing. Perhaps it was a test. Now again, I've already alluded to this, but think about it. Down in the valley, Aaron and her and the elders of Israel are judging the people of Israel. What great influence they have. As a matter of fact, they love Aaron. Aaron's listened to what they had them to do. Aaron's doing exactly what they asked. I mean, you couldn't ask for a greater political figure. Aaron's our guy. I don't even know if we need Moses. Thanks, Aaron. God bless you for your help. Aaron and her, specifically Aaron, perhaps are gaining influence by the day. I don't know that Joshua knows this, but everything seems to be getting along just fine without him and Moses in the valley. Nobody's running up the hill trying to find Moses. Nobody's asking, what do we need? What can we do? Nope. Everybody's at the base doing their thing. Here's Joshua in the shadows. He looks up. Again, he continues to see the glimmer and the glimpse and flashes of God's glory, the lightning, the thunder, the fire, the power of God on display before a man of God, Moses. But that's all he can do is look from afar. He knows that his mentors meeting with God. And he knows in the valley the people of God getting along just fine and he's stuck between two worlds do you feel like that sometimes in a season when God might be protecting you from something in a season when God might be teaching you something great you don't feel like you're getting the lesson as a matter of fact you feel like you've been forgotten on the side of a mountain somewhere in the shadows I don't know about you I've felt that way before and kicked and screamed through every blessed day of it. But only time would tell. And only time would prove what benefit these days would be to Joshua in decades to come. So, there's a lesson for us. In Exodus 17, as a warrior of God... Joshua would hear from Moses what it would mean to fight in the power of God's strength. In Exodus 24, Joshua would learn what it would mean to wait upon the Lord's timing. And again, just in my quiet time, this seems to be so significant. Look at Exodus 33, verse 11, as we close today. As a matter of fact, look in verse 7. Out of that encounter on the mountain, God gave Moses instruction for how to come down build the tabernacle, erect all of these furnishings that would go in the tabernacle, who he would even have and who he had gifted as builders for those things. And now look in verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. 
When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Wouldn't that have been a scene? Watching millions simultaneously see the cloud of God's glory descending. And as God's glory descended, God's people would stand at attention before their homes, before their tents, and worship. What a scene. Verse 11. This verse moves my heart. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend. Now look, this is interesting. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses goes out to fulfill the role God's called him to. Joshua stays back at the tent of meeting where the presence of God is coming down. I can't make a strong case for it. Again, maybe it's just a devotional thought. But I think it's something we need to recognize. While Joshua's waiting to become the Joshua of Joshua chapter 1, we see a transformation happening in about 10 chapters, maybe 15. We see a man moving from a warrior to someone who will trust God and be okay with staying behind in a tent before the presence of God when all the action is happening around him. Why is God doing that? God's preparing him for what will happen next. God's preparing him for the next chapter. And I think some of those greatest lessons in his life came for him on the side of a mountain in the shadows while he was waiting. Listen, while you feel like you might be in a season of waiting, who knows? We could stand up, and if there's 100 people in the room right now, we could all stand up and I'd be at 100 different opinions about what you're having to wait on in your life. But in your season of waiting, whatever that might be, maybe, maybe God is protecting you from something. In this season of waiting in your life, maybe God is teaching you something. Maybe God's testing you for a greater purpose. But whether he's protecting you, teaching you, or testing you, know that he's still God and he has a plan. And if I will be faithful in the season of waiting. Matter of fact, Peter said it best. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And in due time, he will exalt you. Oh, I want to be exalted. I just don't want to walk the path to get there. Because sometimes the path to God's exaltation will come through a long season of humiliation while I see others around me gaining influence among God's people, while I see others around me who seem to be on the mountain with God somewhere, here I am stuck between two worlds in the shadows saying, where are you at? But he's still there. He's still there. Father in heaven, thank you for the hope of this scripture. Thank you for the full story. Lord, we get to look back at it and read the whole story. Thank you. Thank you that through faith in Jesus Christ,
We have hope beyond our impatience, strength beyond our own. And Father, thank you for the hope that if we confess our sin and repent of our sin and turn from an old life to trust you for the new one you have for us, the hope of the gospel is that we can have our sins forgiven, our souls saved, our lives changed, and our eternity set in Christ. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us on the cross. And after his death, he rose again that we might have new life on earth and eternal life in heaven. And the hope of the gospel is, is that if we will trust you and repent of our sin, confess our need for you and believe you as Lord of all, we can be saved. Thank you for that hope. And I pray, Father, that, Lord, not taking it for granted, if there's any in this room now that do not know you by faith, I pray they might trust you, confess their need for you, and seek your face. Their greatest need is not an answer for what's next in their waiting. If there are any in here today that do not know you, their greatest need is Christ. And Father, for those, for all of us in here who do know you, Lord, be patient with us while we wait. Be merciful to us. We get so buried by the burden and the anxiety of a limited viewpoint. Help us to realize, God, that in the shadows of what seems to be a long season of waiting, Father, in due time, it may prove you're protecting us, teaching us, or giving us strength in a test so that we might be transformed into you'd have us to be. Lord, so unworthy, in such need of your help. Help me to trust you, Father, when life's coming at me so fast I can't keep up. But also, Father, help me to trust you, Lord. When I feel like I'm caught between two worlds on the side of a mountain in the shadows, help me. While we wait, let us trust you with our whole hearts. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.